Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home to NARC Troopers. If you would like to visit my website, you will find a lot of articles and um, podcasts and video blogs, as well as other resources to help you on your recovery journey from a relationship with a person with Cluster B Disorder. So check it out. That's narctroopers.com. Today's topic is called A Perfect Pairing, The Narcissist and the Borderline. It's a match made in hell with people who carry hell inside of them. So just as the narcissist has become common to everybody in current culture, so is the borderline becoming an, a topic of frequent discussion. The relationship between the borderline and the narcissist is a compelling one to say the least. So I'd like to toss my hat into the ring and offer my take on this popular subject. So what is borderline personality disorder? It is the other cluster B disorder, the one that takes the back seat when psychopaths, people with antisocial personality disorder, and of course those with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, they get all the front page press. But borderline is in cluster B as well, and it's a little bit different from the others. Um, it's characterized by mood instability, best way to say it, I guess, mood dysregulation, impulsivity, fears of being alone or abandoned, um, a need for external validation, a poor self-image or some kind of insecurity that interferes with their ability to have lasting healthy relationships and stability. So most often victims of complex trauma caused by some kind of toxic childhood scripting, you know, that describes, that's something that happens in the cases of a lot of borderlines. Um, and it, one of the differences that I think is huge uh, in this category is that I think it's pretty common knowledge. If not, let me tell you right now, narcissist, antisocial personality disorder, formerly known as your sociopath, and your psychopaths, both primary psychopath and secondary psychopath, all of those, that bunch there, those three, they don't get better. They can't be cured. They don't respond to treatment. There is no medication. There is no, um, you know, DBT or CBT or any kind of um, cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical behavioral, you know, therapy. There's nothing. There's nothing that helps them. They are, they're gone. They are absent. It is a disorder of absence, and it's not the kind of delusion type thing that manifests in the way it does with schizophrenic patients who can respond to treatment and stuff. This is, this is different, and uh, there's many layers to that we won't get into right now, but one thing to make note of is that those three cannot be cured. They cannot be helped. The most to hope for is that they can modify their behavior, but fundamentally underneath these modified behaviors still 
is this absence of being, absence of empathy. They can be taught to have cognitive empathy, to recognize things and respond appropriately, but do they feel it? Do they have emotional empathy? Absolutely not. And that's not something you can can fix. You know, you can't replace parts of the brain that were developmentally uh, interrupted and prevented from growing in a normal and healthy way. You can't fix that ever. But that brings us to the good news. Um, borderlines sometimes have a better outcome. Um, I've heard about sometimes as they get older, by the time they're 40, uh, 45, sometimes they just kind of, um, I, I don't want to say they outgrow it, but I mean something happens and it kind of resolves itself, like childhood epilepsy or childhood asthma. Some people have it when they're young or when they're teens and then it goes away and they never have it again. So sometimes that happens. Um, sometimes they, um, uh, you know, they can respond to treatment and to therapy um, in ways that the other bunch can't. So that's a very significant, huge difference um, that they can, that borderlines can improve with age, or they can just learn to set healthy boundaries and regulate their emotions through sort of a team approach of different therapies, medication, energy work, other interventions. You know, sometimes, you know, um, but sometimes they just get lost in the shared fantasy with the narcissist and they become so enmeshed um, in this fantasy of being completed by um, the kind of people that are incapable of loving them. And so they may self-sabotage or self-harm. People with BPD have one of the highest suicide rates of all disorders. And I think that's why. They are capable of extreme acts of revenge and violence when kicked to the curb and feel that they cannot live without their partner. Mood disorders frequently co-occur with personality disorders. And so, you know, approximately 40% of people with mood disorders have some co-occurring borderline personality features, um, features to their, um, to what they have going on. So, okay, so what is the borderline's missing piece? This is my next uh, topic to talk about here. So I have a, a person that I, <laughs> I will say he's my borderline buddy, but, you know, I'm pretty sure he's more of a narcissist than a borderline. I guess you could be a little bit of both, even though they, I mean, they do have certain common features, but, you know, the whole one can be cured and one cannot. That's just a huge difference there. Anyway, this person so wisely observes that people with BPD aren't meant to attach because when they do, it is too much for anyone to bear. Their partner becomes their God, and that is just overwhelming and impossible for anyone to live up to unless you're a narcissist, right? And for a narcissist, man, that's right up their alley. You know, for the person who has NPD, the borderline mate is the ideal choice, you know, at least for a while, because there's no better fuel to just gush all over them and feed them than a mate who takes the union 
to an extreme, knows no limits, and loves with complete abandon to the point of madness. How about that, guys? Um, yes, sirree. The borderline gives it everything she's got and then some. And please, let's not get tripped up on pronouns here. I'm just using she because historically speaking, there's been more male narcissists and female borderlines, but you know, they're running neck and neck right now, about 50-50. So I don't think we can say that anymore. I think it's pretty equal. Um, so just for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to go with she. Um, so she gives it everything she's got. She would die for her narcissist. She would kill for her narcissist. She would blow up her life and everyone and everything in it for her narcissist. And then she would do it again until the whole world stands in awe and wonder as they witnessed consummate love. And, and they watch this consummate love consume someone completely. You know, I totally get that. I, I myself have borderline traits. <coughs> yep. I don't think that that's necessarily all that I have going on, but yes, I, I do. I, I get this completely. And those of you who are listening, who are thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I have this, you know, it's complicated. You need to get uh, an evaluation or two or three and see. <coughs> Sorry, I have a lingering cough from, I don't know what. Okay, it is difficult, <laughs> but not impossible to be 100% accurate when assigning these labels and diagnosis codes to human beings. It's just, you can't. And so many of them go together in clusters or pairs where you have several things going on. <clears throat> they are complex and they're ever-changing. And there are so many possible combinations of conditions and many exist on a spectrum from shallow to deep, from light to heavy. So it's not just so simple as, oh, okay, well, you know, he's a narcissist, she's borderline, done. Um, it's not that easy. It's a complicated thing. So we need to know that and, uh, acknowledge that. So for example, you know, a person could possess a cluster C dependent personality disorder. I have that with borderline traits. <laughs> I have that. They could also have codependency. I think I have that abandonment issues. Yep. Check that box and impaired attachment styles. Probably. While experiencing anxiety, mm -hmm. acute panic attacks, yep, PTSD and CPTSD from childhood abuse and trauma, mm -hmm. depression, yep, and prolonged grief syndrome. That's a thing. It's now in the diagnostic manual as a diagnostic di diagnosis. It has a code and everything. It's legit. You know, you can get billed from your insurance company for having prolonged grief syndrome. You know, I just listed all those together because probably I think I, I was doing a self-diagnosis. I think I have all those. And in the last three and a half years since um, the discard from my narcissist, uh, I've had different um, workers on my team um, that have talked about all these things that I just mentioned, kind of like they all kind of can go together. 
into one big giant cluster you know what that that is going to challenge you uh, to be able to get over it and to get past it not that it can't be done it can but it just makes it super super hard because you have all these different things going on at once not just one condition but multiple things and um, you know you can <clears throat> have understanding of what you have going on with you you know um, I have a master's degree uh, with a focus on guidance and counseling and I have taken training on trauma intervention therapy and uh, crisis intervention and PTSD uh, parasympathetic um, solutions and trauma in the body somatic therapy I have certificates and training I've completed and I you know it's like it's like doctors don't treat themselves doctors don't treat their own family they take their kids and their wives or husbands and themselves to other physicians and then they just do it as a professional courtesy for one another with no charge and so that's kind of how I look at what I do yes I have experienced this yes I have some I have some issues that I'm dealing with many in fact and many of them are generational that go back generations um, epigenetically uh, cycles of generational trauma and just all kinds of crazy stuff but I can have that and be struggling with it I know what it is I know what I'm feeling I understand why I'm feeling it it doesn't make it just magically go away um, you can still cognitively have a deep understanding and still have that inability to always successfully manage your condition it's kinda like being in the program in a 12-step program you can know that you're an addict but you can't always stay on the wagon you can be uh, a sponsor for another person because you are uh, you know maintaining sobriety but you're still an alcoholic so I can be a sponsor or a recovery facilitator for other people because I am no longer in a narcissistic relationship nor in contact with my narcissist X therefore I have some degree of sobriety which allows me to um, accurately cognitively see what needs to happen what should happen how it should happen and all of that and then and then the hard work comes of consistently daily minute by minute hour by hour carrying through those techniques and those things and those um, objectives that you have to get to the other side of this and to heal to become whole and to not have to deal with it you know forever and ever for the rest of your life you know at some point you know it, it gets less severe less acute and it gets easier to manage and then eventually hopefully you don't have, there's not a whole much of managing that has to happen you just know that you have some stuff going on and you know that being in contact with that narcissist is very very lethally dangerous to your health in every way possible and then you just do your best to, to 
keep your distance. And if you fail sometimes, I have, <laughs> you know, if you fail, then you just get right back on the wagon, get back on the horse, get back on the whatever, you know, on your sphinx, uh, phoenix thing that's rising from the ashes. Get back on it. Ride it on up into the sky and away from there and don't look back. So anyway, so, um, you know, I think that this cacophony of hot mess would be an apt description of these fractured and damaged conditions that some of us have which made us vulnerable in the first place to what the narcissist did and kept us there in the trauma bond, in the shared fantasy, longer than what a neurotypical person would have endured or tolerated. They would have gotten out, you know, in the beginning probably. They would have seen a red flag and said, oh, hell no, I'm not going to do this, but that I, this is, you know, you're violating my boundaries and this feels icky and I got to go. But we didn't do that, did we? I know a lot of people get mad and say, you know, there was nothing wrong with me. It was just the narcissist did this to me and that to me and I'm the victim and all of that. And I just really want to ask you to step back from that stance. Um, I guess that that happens from time to time, but in the majority of cases, I think the people who who get into long-term relationships with a narcissist and long-term meaning over a couple of years, you know, that you you married them or you lived with them for years and, and years maybe, uh, maybe you had children with them. These people usually have some underlying history of something or the other, like that laundry list that I just read to you. And there are things that have to be resolved or you just have a tendency to go out and do it again. I've done it three times <laughs> in my life, three times. And I'm not going to do it a fourth, mm -mm. but three times I picked um, mentally unwell people. And I did that for a reason. You know, my mom was mentally ill and that's a whole other story, but you know, you may not have a mentally ill parent, but there's probably something, something in your history, some kind of toxic scripting, bad programming, some, some, something that, that creates a vulnerability. It's not your fault. Of course not. But it's something that you've got to get in touch with yourself and find out what that is. Um, anyway, um, Whatever balancing act, you know, that you have to do to manage or to self-regulate all these different things, you know, we need to figure out how to do that. Um, you know, I'm psychologically astute enough uh, to be able to know what I'm up against, but some days it still kicks my butt. Um, you know, um, I have a very clear picture of my inner workings, deep understanding, but some days there's a trigger or there's something and that anxiety comes and it gets to be really pretty difficult. So that's okay. You accept your feelings, you love yourself, you're patient with yourself and you keep your eye on the prize, which means you're not looking back over your shoulder at what happened and all that mess back there. You're looking forward and you're looking inward, not just forward. You're not just, you know, you're also looking inward because that's where the key to the kingdom is. That's where, where all of the source 
of um, everything is, and so that's where you have to go. Uh, the point remains that many borderlines can have a cadre of coexisting conditions that can exacerbate um, what's going on with the narcissist and keep them bound to them. Um, because the narcissist is the only one that can regulate their emotions. That's sort of their function with a borderline. So let's switch here and talk about the narcissist's wet dream. Mm. The borderline is, is too good of a deal for the narcissist to resist. He can plug in and siphon every last drop of her delicious and limitless top grade fuel gorging on the excess and hungering for more. According to Eleanor Greenberg, PhD, she says borderlines and narcissists often become smitten with each other because they are in at the same level with their intimacy skills. They are both often stuck in the early stages of learning how to successfully maintain intimate relationships. They both are usually victims of trauma and motivated by a need for external validation. They both manipulate one another to get what they want. So in many ways, they are two peas in a pod who have a lot in common. Of course, neither are capable of healthy, genuine love. It is something else altogether, but it is not intimacy, trust, respect, or real love. The narcissist and the borderline are both missing a core sense of self and identity. Underlying their um, relational pattern is their early attachment wounds and lack of object constancy. The narcissist can mime, mimic, and parrot emotions at will, and the borderline can feel these intense emotions without boundaries. So it is like a feast at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Each one of them separately is like walking into a tornado, but together it becomes the perfect storm with intensity and power. Since the borderline offers herself up like a sacrificial lamb, the narcissist delights in her extreme lack of boundaries and insane efforts to hang on and feed the shared fantasy. Without the narcissist, she has no one to ground her and prevent her from imploding. She will do anything to keep him. And what a perfect situation that is for a narcissist. Unlimited high-grade fuel, traits, and benefits. In the end, you must remember this. Neither the borderline nor the narcissist is staying in the mutually psychotic fantasy because they are so deeply in love with one another. A union between these two is strictly transactional and nothing more. Both are getting what they need, a better mother, another chance, external validation, dopamine hits to the brain, and a powerful addiction to the um, objectified introject. Um, or the idealized savior. Now, it's the narcissist that has the objectified interject, and it is the borderline that has the idealized savior. And that is the dynamic. 
and that's what keeps them together. Now, I'm not saying everybody that's with a narcissist is a borderline. Of course not. But if you have borderline traits, or if you are, if you do have borderline personality disorder, then this is describing what is going on. And I, uh, and I just know that some of you probably uh, are hearing some stuff that sounds kind of, um, you know, familiar. You know, how could they possibly live without one another? It is a powerful and intense connection while it lasts. But like all castles built on sand, it cannot last. Eventually, it's going to sink into the tide and be washed out to sea. So that's my discussion, my, my two cents about the borderline and the narcissist and what those partnerships look like. Um, and you can read more about it. Um, there's so much information out there. It's kind of hard to know what is accurate. I like Sam Vaknin, Dr. Sam Vaknin, V-A-K-N-I-N. He's, um, you know, there's a few things that I disagree with that he talks about, mostly religious stuff. But other than that, if he sticks to the whole uh, cluster B stuff. He is spot on, 100% knows what he is talking about. He's the expert. He's the godfather of narcissism. He is a narcissist. He understands it very well. And he explains it in lectures that are a little bit academic, but if you really want to get a good grasp on what's going on and what has happened, check him out. And, you know, there's other people too. He's, he's probably my favorite. Um, I follow Melanie Tonya Evans. She has a Thriver program that's pretty cool. Uh, I like Lisa Romano. Um, there's people on Quora who are good writers, Q-U-O-R-A. Um, they're not professional mental health people, mostly. There's maybe one or two. Most of them are just regular people um, chiming in about it, but some of them are very knowledgeable. Couple, a couple of them, my favorite is Sophia Bell. She's, um, you know, she's very sassy. Some people like that. She's a little bit profane. But, you know, it's, a, it's like a wake-up call. When you're feeling sappy, if you're feeling mushy, if you're feeling like, oh, my narcissist, he was so sweet and he was so adorable and he was so good to me, you know, yeah, when his head wasn't spinning around like the exorcist and he wasn't betraying you and feeling such contempt for you, you know, he, you know, he took everything in his control, not to just back over you with the car when he was pulling out of the garage, right? You know, you got to remember when you start feeling that way, go to Cora and read some Sophia Bell. And it's kind of like a slap in the face. She's like that older sister or mom that just comes in and slaps you and says, snap out of it. Get a grip on yourself. Look, this is what's going on here. This is what he's doing right now. And sometimes I think you need to hear that. It is not always appropriate for every situation, but I want to tell you, you know, sometimes it is, and you have to, you know, choose the appropriate thing to listen to or watch or read based on what's going on with you, kind of where you are, what you're feeling and all of that to moderate the whole thing. So uh, there's lots of stuff about borderline personality disorder. If you want to know more about that, about the dynamics between the borderline and the narcissist. And then there's just a lot of stuff about narcissists out there. I have written over, I believe, 200 articles at this point 
that are all published on Medium and other platforms um, like the Good Health Project, uh, Virago, um, you know, different other like uh, online magazine um, and social media platforms. About 200 articles, all very educational. Um, I have a podcast channel. You can access that through going to NARC Troopers and and I have almost 200 podcasts. The podcasts are sort of a version of the articles. I use the articles as the springboard for the podcast and then I add a little and delete a little and but it's essentially based on uh, the articles that I write first. And then I have a video vlog that's just totally random and I just you know, think about other people suffering and in recovery and going through all this all the time. You're always with me. So everywhere I go, I'll make a little video and just tell you what's on my mind. Like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about today. So hopefully that's going to be helpful to you. It's all free. It's all there for you on narctroopers.com. Um, thank you for being here. Please subscribe and uh, follow me so that you can have new articles pop up. And I will see you soon. Much thanks. Much love. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.